welcome to a brand new podcast called Two Steps Back. Two Steps Back. Is that the jingle we're going to use? <laughs> I don't know. It might well be. It may be. Uh, anyway, this is a podcast all about history. So there is an endless amount of topics for us to talk about. And hopefully and... I'm going to learn a bit. Uh, by the way, my name's Dan. Um, not a historian or even a historian enthusiast in the past but hopefully i will be after we've done these podcasts anyway i'm sitting opposite chelsea who would like to be known as the history enthusiast of the two of us no No? i don't like this what i don't know i don't know what i am (laughs) (laughs) okay we didn't want to be called history teacher no i don't want to have any association with history no i am history i love the history history is life um it's bloodshed and gore it's everything i stand for wow start rhyming already already it's a good start when you know that you are rhyming and just having fun with history okay so i guess that's the aim for these podcasts is to have a bit of fun talk about a weird and random selection of topics along the way not necessarily in any order no order at all um so today we're starting with a city that has a lot of history um is quite close to us being in south devon but it is the city of plymouth known of course famous for drake's circus shopping plymouth argyle football team um (laughs) and that's where it ends apparently that's where plymouth is stopped oh he remembered there's a naval base yeah that's good um so we can see the level of expertise that dan currently has so we'll see if we can improve that by the end we could even do a quiz oh, oh he doesn't sound excited about that <laughs> maybe anyway we got maybe with plymouth should we start right back at the start when no one actually lived in plymouth there were no janners it's a very good place there was no drake circus <laughs> <laughs> okay so how did Plymouth come about as a city? So um, Plymouth is quite an, a new city when we're looking at the ages of things and looking at the development of different cities. Generally, Britain is not one of the oldest establishments. Any of the cities here aren't as old as some of the others across the whole world. Um, and then when you take that into hold, actually, Plymouth is a baby city in is comparison. It? When you say that, you're you're not saying that you know Plymouth came about in the 1970s no it, it's older than that but it is relatively young when we're looking at some of the other sites that we'll probably look at it's it's it is quite young it's not an really ancient city which other cities are um so it started in the Anglo-Saxon era which is pre-1066 and it was a very small settlement not many people lived there it was about six families living on a lovely south-facing slope six families six families that's what they're estimating and the homes that they would have had would have been made out of wood and would have had thatch roofs and would have been very basic so nothing of that remains we know it existed through various documents but actually what was there is quite limited we know that they would have fished they would have farmed but very little else do we know um we know that the fish that they would have kind of harvested from the sea known as the sound in the local area this is a big area of land well sea land um in between the river plim 
and the English Channel and it's got this lovely natural harbour which allowed them to fish quite easily um, so they got the fish which were pilchards and herrings and it was quite good for that so that's why they settled there okay so there was kind of travellers in a sense and they set up camp because Plymouth was good for fishing agriculture in the yeah fields. so farming was quite good because of those south-facing slopes it meant the sun never really kind of they got the most out of the sun that they could um, which meant things could grow better than they would elsewhere so we've got that and that's the reason why they would have settled um the other site which was slightly larger at this time was plimpton but plimpton's quite small now it doesn't have a great deal of knowledge about it at this point it did have a monastery which was very important it's now where a present church kind of stands which is called Plymouth St Mary um it was a marketplace it had a castle which defended the river it was it was Plimpton yeah this is Plimpton Mm. it was actually more important we don't see Plymouth being mentioned at all it's actually called Sutton in this period it's not called Plymouth until a bit later on and in 1086 a famous document was being created which is called the Doomsday Book and Plimpton's referred to it and Plymouth isn't uh, Plimpton is said to be the wealthiest manor in the district, is the quote. And well, actually, that kind of shows us the importance that Plimpton had rather than Plymouth. And we don't even see Plymouth being named until 1211 in the Pipe Rolls, which is a tax record. Hmm. Okay. So Plimpton now is just, you know, mainly residential, isn't it? A lot of. It's, it's grown in that sense. Yeah, it's but... grown, and more people are living there, and there's lots of people commuting in and out of Plimpton, but it's mm. historically not that significant. It's only if you research into this particular area that you find out that information. So it is rather surprising for historians looking at it from fresh eyes. So when about them, and why did they decide to move from Plimpton just down the River Plym to to Plymouth, or Sutton as it was known? Yeah, so they chose to move down because they were doing tin mining in Dartmoor. So tin mining was kind of causing lots of little bits of rock to basically break up and it went into the river, which caused the river to silt. Because of that silting up the river, the ships couldn't go up to get their produce and drop their produce off. They were trading things like tin and cloth and things like that. Um, And we were getting in various items from Spain and Portugal, but we weren't really able to get those ships further up so they chose to go down to the mouth of the river and to be able to trade from Plymouth but this still isn't named that until 1211 so we don't see it growing until that point Mm. okay and with the river so 1211 Mm -hmm. the river Plym is sort of silted up yep and they moved down from Plimpton to the Sutton area yep um at that point, how big would these six families have grown that they started out with? Um, it's grown quite a significant amount by this point. So by 1377, um, the number of taxable inhabitants in Plymouth had actually grown to over 4,000. So it was at this point 4,837 people who were taxable. Very accurate number there. <laughs> <laughs> Try to be as accurate as possible. And, and two dogs. Um, well, it's only the taxable inhabitancy, so they would have had pets and they would have had animals round, uh, but these are the people that can be taxed, so that isn't children as well. <laughs> oh, so right. it, it's kind of only seen as those that are taxable. Hmm. Okay, and moving on from that era, mm-hmm. they settled in Plymouth. 
Yep, and Plymouth is now growing in importance. Um, and then a building which is called the Blackfriars Monastery was built. Um, the building still remains, but it's got a very different use now. It's now a gin distillery. It is not oh. a religious building, but lots of people like to frequent the gin distillery. Mm. Very famous gin comes out of that distillery now. Yes, it is called Plymouth Gin. I've actually seen that because we do you know, a bit of work, video work um, around the world various locations i've actually seen that gin on a bar in a in a random island uh in the maldives okay so that's how far and wide plymouth gin and did you try it to. in the maldives i didn't try it in the maldives i feel like you've missed out there no i didn't try it in the maldives actually i, should I was done. wondering if it had a different but... taste from being abroad like whether or not it had a different flavour from being around a different area. I don't think so. I think it's bottled in the same place. Yeah, it's bottled in the same place. The, the old Black Fla Black Friars Priory. Um, Those Dominican monks out. didn't know what they started. Yeah, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was their aim to start a gin distillery <laughs> back then. Probably not. Uh, probably not seen as the most religious um, way of living your life, but... Yeah, that was created in around 1383 is mm. when we think that building was created. Mm. Um, and obviously there's been some debates about when the Blackfriars Monastery was built. There's different accounts saying different things. Well, there's the plaque we found the other day that on, on the side of the building that says an early 15th century building. Yeah, which should make which it the 1400s. Our documents are saying 1383, so that's what we're going to kind of go with. But Around the area. Era. <laughs> yeah, uh, as historians, we do like to try and be as accurate as possible. Um, obviously, that's, that's a debate, and that's what happens when you're looking at history from a mm. different time period. Anyway, it's a very old building, and the building still exists. Yeah, today. it is the oldest building in Plymouth. Had a lick, a lick of paint here and there, but the walls are still the same, I guess. Yeah, it, it didn't get knocked down at any point and then rebuilt. No, it's, it's still the same building. Different uses, and it yeah. hasn't always been a Jindisley or a Blackfriars Monastery. It's changed as well. We'll look at that when we're looking more mm. towards the Tudor era, where mm. lots of changes. Um, but it wasn't called Barbican at this point. It okay, that it will area. become a Barbican very but shortly. It had a harbour at that point, did it? Yeah, so it was always a harbour. It mm. always had this natural harbour, which was created naturally. Just luckily, the way the river flowed. Had had this natural harbour, which is why people chose to settle there because it was good for the fishing area. But at that point, it wasn't a Barbican because Barbican comes from the French word Barbicane, which is a fortification. And you would normally see a watchtower guarding a gate or a drawbridge, and that's how it gets its name. It's seen in its um, in Plymouth's coat of arms as well. So it's not called Barbican until a little bit further on in time not much further mm. so we are shortly getting there but mm. it is coming and did they build the aquarium back then no the aquarium's <laughs> much more recent but I would recommend going it is meant to have a great array of different types of fish and sea creatures okay we've skipped forward a bit there with the aquarium but, um <laughs> So chronology bar does not hold us back no. apparently the barbican so it's not been called the barbican at this point nope um moving on was mm -hmm. there when did plymouth sort of become a naval base or was there any sort of um reason for it to be known as a as a center for uh war and battles yes on the coast on the south coast kind of thing. so the 
kind of war that started it all off and the way in which we can see Plymouth growing as a military kind of area is the Hundred Years War, which clearly lasted a long time. It was on and off battles, it wasn't consistently fighting. There was a lot of battles going on in France as well. And this was uh, kind of fought between the years 1337 and 1453. And Sutton Pool was actually a starting point for many missions. And Plymouth plays a major part in the provision of men and ships. So actually it becomes something that is really important. And in 1348, Edward III's son, Edward, because they're always original with the naming of, obviously, royals. Yeah. Edward Jr. Edward Jr., also <laughs> known as Edward Prince of Wales, or the Black Prince. Mm. Um, he made Plymouth his headquarters for the campaign against France. So we're seeing Plymouth now becoming very vulnerable to invasion. It's going to be a place where the French are going to want to attack if the Prince of Wales, the heir to the throne, is positioned in um, in Plymouth. They're going to want to attack it. Um, so as a result, in 1339, um, the French first come over and they kind of set fire to quite a few houses. Um, and then in 1403, 1,200 French soldiers came and marched into the town. They fought locals in the site now known as Exeter Street and then spent the night kind of going through different streets and kind of hand-to-hand fighting, pillaging, burning, killing. And some 600 houses were meant to have been looted in this time, so things stolen from them. The French soldiers then departed, but because of that part and that what's happened, the ta- this part of the town was named as Brettonside in commemoration of what had happened. And this is kind of where a bus station is now located. They're remembering this bit of history. Mm, very with pivotal. A, with a bus station. With a bus station. Oh, that's very good of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, they also then, this is where the Barbican gets its name from, they then built a castle. So the castle had uh, four towers. It had walls which were 13 feet high and was completed in 1416. So towards the end, of, no, towards the middle of the Hundred Years' War, um, we see this building kind of being created and a tax is put on fish called hake to pay for the maintenance of that castle so I'm sure everyone at the time would have been thankful that existed because it obviously provided protection mm. but also they had to pay a lot more for their hate <laughs> they had to pay a lot more for their hate so you see a bit of a change there as well okay and I mean can you still see this castle today yes um it is in front of a patch of flats um when i took a group of children there to see this wall a man accused me of lying and said that the tower and the castle never existed which was always great with my lovely year tens um he then made it onto i believe the plymouth herald so (laughs) he was very keen to make sure his point was heard but we have evidence and actually one wall does remain you can see this it has a bit of ivy growing over it mm-hmm. and it's in front of these flats it still has quite a good view over but there isn't as much of it remains as you'd hope and that's because towards the end of the war even then it was growing into disrepair and they weren't keeping the maintenance of it mm. that's a shame really it would have been good Plymouth had this big castle right in the middle of it, it would have been by the, by the Plymouth Hoe and the yeah so it's um in between the barbican and the and the hoe yeah it's between you know where the citadel is that big building dark gray stone yes I yeah think so. so that citadel they actually used some of the bricks and tore down the bit more of the castle for the citadel oh, right. so it's in between the citadel and what we now know as the harbour side mm. but that harbour side didn't fully exist until the judah period uh that was land that was built on later when we got a bit more money to be able to develop the land because they were settling it very quickly 
Mm-hmm. Okay, moving on from that. Yep. I guess post Hundred Years War. Yep. That's quite a long time afterwards. Uh, yeah, so we're only in 1453 by this point, so okay. we've still got quite a bit of history to go, but mm. Plymouth it ha- has got this diverse amount of history, which is really good. Mm. It's a reason why lots of schools study it, and there's some national bits of interest as well. And obviously mm. these bits, we've seen a little bit of national history, but not as much as we're going to see. And that's when the Tudor period starts. So I love the Tudors. I think they're great. So much happened during that time, obviously starting with Henry VII. Um, he's quite a key port person and he helps the development of exploration and trading um as a result he actually kind of encouraged explorers like john cabot to go and find different areas and john cabot discovered in 1497 a land called newfoundland which was actually it's it's in canada you can Mm. go there still it's called newfoundland and labrador um so just in case you wanted to go wandering um and it had this really good stock of fish so Plymouth fishermen regularly regularly went and visited those shores and kind of fished from there because of that fishing the industry in Plymouth erupts and they get this large amount of money going in and we start to trade with things so we're importing things like wine fruit sugar and paper from places like France and Spain we have hemp for making ropes as well which is being imported from places in the Baltic. We've got hops from Holland, so we're importing loads mm. and we're exporting still wool and tin. Wool trade is massive in the Tudor era, as any Tudor historian will know. Um, and as a result of this kind of growing prosperity, this amount of money that's going into Plymouth, they are able to bu- kind of build a new quay, which is built and it's where the Barbican kind of stands today. So that road called Southside Street, that land past it is the new quay and it's where the harbour wall is Hmm. all of that was built so that they could have more trading on that land so to encourage more trade so that Plymouth boosted economically Hmm. so trading nowadays that that area is a lot of pubs and restaurants yes (laughs) and they they are still kind of going towards the tourism we've got a massive tourist industry within Plymouth and that hopefully will still encourage obviously we've got a horrible year this year but we're meant to be celebrating we're setting sale of the mayflower 400 years ago um from plymouth and obviously that might be on hold due to the coronavirus which is incredibly sad because that is going to be a big hit for plymouth's economy because they've been planning for that for quite a long time Mm. so moving on with the tudor era yes so we're currently in henry seventh's reign and i like henry seventh we can talk about him at a different point because i've just I do really love that man, and there's many different reasons. Um, but during his reign as well, completely forgotten because of Henry VIII. Yeah, and Elizabeth <laughs> as well. A bit. Elizabeth, yeah. Elizabeth yeah. is a phenomenal queen, and we'll look at her reign as well, and we can look at many different questions about her. Mm. Um, but yeah, Henry VII is actually kind of a little bit of a genius. People see him as stingy, but I, I kind of really like him. I've been reading some of the books about his reign at the moment. Um, Henry the Seventh, during his reign, he has another son. Any idea if you know what his other son was called? Was it Henry? No. So <laughs> Henry the Eighth is actually his second son. Oh, okay. So his first son is called Arthur. Now this was due to kind of trying to validate, 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 validate. That's the word <laughs> I wanted. Um, so validate his um, claim to the throne. Um, due to various things we'll look at that at a different point but um he then was meant to be marrying 
Catherine of Aragon, who you may have heard of with Henry VIII. Mm. Um, so Arthur is meant to marry her, but she actually lands from her trip from Spain, because she's princess of Spain. Uh, she comes over and she stays in Plymouth, and that's kind of one part of it. And the castle, even though it's going to a bit of disrepair, is meant to also be this lovely grand entrance for her coming to England. Mm. And then she makes her way up to go and marry Arthur, Henry VIII's brother. Right. Now, Henry VIII then falls madly in love with Catherine, and when Arthur and his father die, he does marry Catherine of Aragon very quickly. So our future Queen of England actually went to Plymouth. Again, we see this importance of... That was the first thing she saw of England. Yeah. was Plymouth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, first impressions. First impressions. I'm hoping that she liked the look, mm. but obviously we don't know whether or not she did. <laughs> um, and then we see, obviously, the young prince coming into power, Henry VIII. He comes to be king in 1509. Um, and he's very famous for doing something which changes the whole of the country. And still today, we see the changes he brings about. He changed the religion. Mm -hmm. um, this was through the Reformation. And because of that change of religion, he actually broke from Rome, created the Church of England, this new religion kind of coming about based on still the Christian faith. Um, and he pushes forward the act for dissolution of the monasteries. So that monastery that was built in Plymouth is now going to be closed and the Blackfriars Priory on Southside Street becomes a debtor's prison instead. So that wonderful building, mm. which was meant for holy people, is now a prison mm. for people who are in debt. So the importance of the Barbican, economically, is still growing, but in religious affairs, people are still religious. It doesn't suddenly mean that people aren't religious, because that's often what people think. They're still religious, but the building has changed, and its use has changed, the importance of the area religiously has changed with mm. this. So it's going to have a big impact. Um, we also, because of the fact that we're trading so much, we see Plymouth Barbican actually double in size, the town, the number of people living in it. Um, so between 1532 and 1600s, it doubles. There are larger houses which have these wide staircases and smaller ones which have pole staircases. And these have ship masts and around it steps spiral. Oh, okay. So it's that's where like that very fine upward movement kind of staircase with it wrapping around a central new post. Mm. Um, that's actually used to be ship masts. Yeah. That's how they came about. Yeah. And mm. well, in the Barbican it did, because they're using mm. local resources. And mm. then the building that still remains, and you could go and see, is the Elizabethan house. Now, this was actually built a little bit later, clearly, during the reign of Elizabeth. Mm. Not much happens for us during the time period of Edward and Mary, so we'll leave that and neglect those two, sorry, for this <laughs> broadcast. But... Um, it's number 32 New Street, the Elizabethan House. It was created in 1584. Um, and it's really important because of the fact it's got original features. It features are uh, mostly unaltered. It's got seven rooms on three different floors. It's got white limewashed plaster walls, bare wooden floors and oak beams, which we believe may have been salvaged from a ship, and a central new post, which was once a ship's mast, as part of the staircase. Um, the house was built with local materials, including limestone, slate and oak, and it kind of keeps its original functions. So on the bottom floor, there were working and cooking rooms. On the middle floor, there's entertaining and dining. So that's where you'd have most of your guests coming with your merchants kind of 
almost kind of catering to them. And then on the top floor, you'd have your privacy rooms, which would be your bedrooms and sleeping arrangements. So you can imagine stepping into this place and imagining what it would have looked like throughout. Hmm. So it's kind of like almost stepping back into actual history. So it's still open and you can visit it now? Um, it will be opening soon. At the moment, oh, okay. um, as we are currently recording this, I don't believe it is opening. They're currently restoring it because oh. it went into a bit of disrepair. Hmm. And Plymouth Barbican Association, which we'll talk about later, um, is kind of fixing it up and making sure it's still in good nick. Mm. Okay, that would be interesting to go and see once it does open. Yeah, and it's one that I would like to look around and definitely take quite a few pictures because mm. <laughs> it's just interesting. <laughs> um, also, during Elizabeth's reign, um, you might know a bit about this, but she was known for also trying to encourage exploration. Yeah. Know anybody? Um... You've mentioned his name already for shopping. Sir Francis Drake. Yeah. So Sir Francis Drake lived in the Plymouth and lived in the Barbican. Um, and you can still see where his house would have been, but not his house. His house was torn down. And we'll talk about the houses that were torn down in the street that he lived. Because it's a little bit sad that all of that history was torn down. Mm. Um, he During this time, we have very important kind of maritime exploration. We go to a place called the New World, which is America. United States of America. Um, Hawkins family are quite important in this particular regards. Um, they owned land on Kinterbury Street, or houses on Kinterbury Street, and they kind of played an important role in this. And we have William Hawkins and John Hawkins, who are one of the most famous for it. They are privateers and slave traders. So we've also got a history with linking with the slave trade, mm. which is not probably the most not the nicest it's not the nicest and it's probably not one that people want to talk about but it is important that we don't forget that we did play a role in that and actually yeah. that needs to be acknowledged mm. um and due to that that role we do see a boost in the economy so unfortunately because of that the privateering the exploration and also slave trading we see um the it economy people with wealth yeah maybe yeah um and two other people, we've mentioned Sir Francis Drake, but you've got Sir Walter. Now, I never say his name. Raleigh. Yep, yeah, we'll go with that. I always pronounce it wrong. The kids always tell me that I've done it wrong. Um, they Did lived you... close to Sutton Harbour as well in Lew Street. Um, Sir Francis Drake lived in Lew Street and Raleigh lived in Lot They were neighbours. Oh, no, not quite. Not <laughs> quite. Um, he did have a house on Lot Street as well. Hmm. Um, Francis were, Drake had quite never, a few They houses. were never in, though, were they? Uh, rarely they out. were <laughs> pretty much out, out most of the time just having a great time well obviously drake is known for circumnavigating the world and yeah. doing various exploration but also a famous event with the spanish what do you know about the famous event with the spanish the spanish armada yeah so he's obviously um known for that and he's meant to have played bowls when finding out about the spanish armada how true this is there are different accounts about in it plymouth. but yeah in plymouth mm. So he was meant to be playing bowls when he heard about the Spanish Armada coming and then went off and got in his ship. Um, <laughs> so whether or not that's true, we'll obviously leave that you, to you guys to research further. But that is one of the accounts that said, say about it. Um, and obviously, Sir Francis Drake is quite important. He does actually become mayor of Plymouth and helped really? develop some of the water systems in Plymouth. So he's he's got a lot of impact. This is after the Armada. Yeah. I think mm. it is. Because that happened he in 1588. Mayor, he became mayor of Plymouth after 
Yeah, because then he went up in Queen Elizabeth's court and gained a bit more favour. Mm. So, yeah, I, there's quite a lot. And he leaves from the sound and goes and fights the Spanish Armada mm. and defeats it. And that obviously is something that Queen Elizabeth is very fond of. She's still got another 20-odd years plus to reign, so she's got quite a lot of influence still to kind of be able to have. No, not 20 plus. My maths was bad there. 1588. She dies in 1600, so... Yeah. But over, over 10 years. years. Yeah, so that's kind of what we see in the Tudor era. The Tudor era is a massive period of change for the Barbican, and its importance is so high because of Drake, with what he did with the Armada, because of what happened with Henry VIII, its national importance, what it shows about national history. It's really good. Hmm. So there must be a lot of memorials to Francis Drake in in Plymouth? Yeah, you can walk along um, the top of the Hoe, which is where Smeaton's Tower is, and you can see a lovely statue to Drake. There's quite a lot in memory of Drake throughout mm. the whole of the Barbican and Plymouth as a whole. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, his name is very often used in... Uh, <laughs> schools. Yeah. <laughs> There's often... Shopping centres. Shopping centre. Schools usually have, like, a house. Drake. Drake house. Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, I probably should mention that Drake did also steal, and did also steal oh. from the Spanish. No. Yeah, I'm sorry. Take statue down. I mean, we could <laughs> look at a whole episode on Drake. He he's controversial. Yeah, um, and he's also meant to be a slave trader. He's a slave trader. Oh. I need to double check, but I, I I believe so. I need to double check my sources. There's always one. a dark side to a kind of national and. Or yeah. even local heroes in there. Yeah, basically. And the kids were shocked when I said this first of all to them, so I need to double check and make sure, but I'm pretty sure he was. Oh dear. Oh. from there we go to the Stuarts because obviously when Elizabeth dies she doesn't have an heir to the throne through her own blood because she's the last of her siblings and she chooses not to have any children mm -hmm. or to get married uh, so as a result uh, Mary Queen of Scots um, child comes to the throne James and we begin the Stuart era so the the reign of the Stuarts now we don't actually have anything much that happens during this time for the Barbican the time of explorers and privateers does actually start to end with Elizabeth after she dies the trading with Newfoundland decreases slightly for Plymouth mm. uh, Plymouth is still importing goods such as wine and salt, paper and pitch and linen um, from places like France and Spain and their coal is being brought in from North from Newcastle um, but other ports are becoming more important so Liverpool is becoming bigger, Bristol is becoming bigger so Plymouth mm. now has other major cities to contend with mm. Um, in terms of religion, the Barbican is still playing a role, and a famous kind of group of people, uh, the Pilgrim Fathers, who were early European settlers of the Plymouth Colony in present-day Plymouth, Massachusetts, set sail from Sutton, or Plymouth Barbican. Um, Plymouth, they... Massachusetts. Yeah. In America. Yeah, in America. Mm. So, in the USA, that's set up from people who leave Plymouth. Um, so, these were people who left on a ship called the Mayflower. And they set sail with 102 passengers in 1620 over to America. Now, the original steps do not remain because at the time they were being persecuted for their religion. They were Puritan and they didn't like that in the UK. Um, so as a result, 
they left to go and be able to worship and live their own way and they wanted to live in freedom um so as a result we now remember it with a granite block which was placed there in the 1891 but the actual steps don't remain and that is important to remember <laughs> i thought they're being renovated they're being some. renovated so it has at the moment it has an arch over it it's got two pillars of flags from the united states of america and it's got the um union jack or union flag i can't remember what it's called when it's flying one or the other it's yeah it might be somebody will tell us it might be the union flag when it's flying um so yeah we've got those two um flags which fly above mm. the steps as well mm. and it's got a lovely kind of light that goes up as well around it so it's mm. got this but this is mainly to attract the tourists and americans who like to come over yeah. um so this is where we think the steps were but lots of locals believe it's actually in the ladies toilets of one of the local pubs is where the steps would have been oh really um it's just been built on yeah that harbour. that's what their their belief is um mm. can't find physical evidence to agree with that but i can't find a physical evidence to go against it and we know that that's not the original steps so, so this is a difficult one for did, historians did you say how many how many pilgrims set, set off yeah 102 102 pilgrims set off yeah and made their way america. over to america and quite a journey to make yeah and i believe there was somebody who died but there was also a person who was born so i believe that they ended up with the same number of people by the time that they got over there mm. um then so we're in 1620 now we're in the reign of james it then sees a bit of a change now i don't know how much you know about this sort of history for england but we then see charles the first come to the throne charles the first is somebody who's quite controversial and lots of people at the time did not really like him and as a result the english civil war came about and it's got many different causes we could look at that in a whole podcast just the causes of the civil war um and this civil war is between the royalists or cavaliers who support the king and then we also have the parliamentarians or uh, roundheads depending on which sources you're looking at who are looking at and support cromwell okay so this civil war happens mm. and plymouth go against the king they decide in an area which is surrounded by royalists they decide they're going to be roundheads and they're going to support parliament mm. as a result after cromwell comes to power and he then dies and his we then have the restoration of the monarchy charles ii who's charles i's son after charles was executed by the english population um charles ii comes to power now charles ii builds the citadel now okay. the citadel is interesting some historians believe that charles ii just recognized the importance of plymouth and thought plymouth is a good place to build a citadel it's a good military location however from a passage from the writings of a person who was there at the time called cosmo de Domici, uh the third he visited court in 1669 and he said or suggests that the building was built to keep an eye on the people of Plymouth because they had supported Parliament during the Civil War and the King built the Citadel in order to kind of keep a check on them in any case that they would kind of rebel against him again and it kind of has this amazing kind of art gateway at the beginning of it I don't know if you've mm. ever seen it it's got this lovely kind of detailing into the stone and it's made out of portland stone which was dated in 1670 
and the building was completed in 1675. Um, it's a massive building, if you've ever been to Plymouth you probably have seen this building. It's large, it's still a military base so you're not very frequently allowed in, you have to have special permission because it's an active base. Um, and you can see often soldiers standing outside because obviously they're protecting mm. that area. Um, it is also said that the castle also has cannons which face towards Plymouth as a warning for it not to rebel again. Face towards Plymouth. Which is interesting because <laughs> you'd hope that they would be facing towards the sea, towards the invasion that yeah. was coming. This yeah. is where they're looking the wrong way. They're looking the wrong <laughs> way, which at makes their own us people still. think potentially. They are actually there to threaten the people of Plymouth not to rebel against. Um, so that is the Stuart era. So we're kind of done with the mm. early modern era. There hasn't been a rebellion from the Plymouth people since. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's been well, quite a long time. If you compare it with Exeter, Exeter has um, Rougemont Tower, which was built looking at the people of Exeter after they rebelled against King William, mm. uh, William the Conqueror. So mm. it has been done before, and particularly in our local area. We're... I mean, smaller, more peaceful rebellions are just called protests these days. Yeah. And they obviously still do happen. Yeah. But that is just freedom of speech. Yeah. Perfectly allowed now. Yeah. I I guess the rebellions in those days would would have been, you know, grab a pitchfork (laughs) or a weapon. It depends on what you're looking at. We could look at the Peasants' Revolt dating back much before... Um, all the way through, there's been the pilgrimage of grace. I mean, during Henry VIII's reign, there's so many different rebellions that we could look at. Mm. There's many during Elizabeth's reign, so that's another podcast, I think. That is a whole. <laughs> that's many different podcasts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that we can look at. So, if you were to give a very short um, dictionary description of a citadel, what what would that <laughs> what would that sound like? Because they pop up all over the world, don't they? Yeah. They're, there's not just an English thing. There's citadels that were built. Uh, is it? Is it purely... Oh, what's the difference between a castle and a citadel? I would probably think size. This is very much guessing. I would say size. They're usually a lot bigger. Really? Um, and it's usually a military fortification, um, which has an active base within it. Um, so castles would be used to protect the people inside, I guess. Whereas the citadels are just kind of military military base castles yes traditionally but they would have been a military base before we don't see citadels coming until a bit later 1600s is when we i think see the first kind of citadels coming about mm. i might be wrong for the world history but we've obviously been to a citadel in vietnam, vietnam yeah last year. so yeah they're citadels across the world but not too sure without looking at my phone what the definition of a natural citadel is mm. for us it's a military fortification mm. well they're very impressive buildings anyway yeah and they are if you can look at a kind of aerial shot of the citadel which you can see if you google it it's massive it's it's a massive fortification one which is the largest building in Plymouth I would argue mm. if we're looking in land mass not in height mm. So with that citadel, Plymouth mm-hmm. gains a bit more um, uh, popularity or... or um, I would say military... Importance. Prowess. With, with <laughs> military prowess. Yes. <laughs> with uh, the monarchy at yeah. the time. And I would say we don't see any rebellions from that, so maybe it did work with threatening the people of Plymouth. Maybe they just weren't that... Stick the cannons. <laughs> 
face, <laughs> facing the people. Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether or not they're armed. I'd imagine not. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just an interesting kind of fact factoid that mm. you could use. Okay. And, yeah, I would say it's an interesting building. There's probably even more history within it, um, which I'd love to be able to go and see at some point and be able to look at the actual history of that one building because I imagine there's quite a lot within it. But obviously, with it still being an active military base, kind of brings in a bit more trouble with that. Mm. Okay, moving on to early 18th? Uh, 1700s. So we finish in about the 1700s with the Stuarts, and then we begin with the Industrial Revolution beginning. So that's when we see the next bits of change for the Barbican. Mm. Um, by this point, Plymouth Dock, which is known as Devonport, that actually has become more important. So unfortunately, so right over the other side of Plymouth, isn't it? Yeah, that's and over towards the west. That is still a kind side. of also got a military side of it. It's got lots of ships that go in, so Devonport is increasing in its importance in the industrial period. Hmm. Um, exploration and commercial trade eventually takes over as well. It takes it from the Barbican, so we begin to see the Barbican begin to still trade, but not be as important in the local area. More be so. set up for tourism as we see today, I guess. Yeah, we're beginning to see that kind of happening. And Devonport is the main naval and trade port for Plymouth. Yeah, um, I mean, Devon. we actually just see a decline, unfortunately, in Plymouth. At this point? Yeah, Plymouth Barbican in particular. Mm. Um, in 1794 to 1796, um, in the observation of the western counties of England, Plymouth Barbican and the surrounding town is described as an ill-built, disagreeable place infested with all the filthiness so frequent in seaports. So at this point, it's not showing a great reputation. Are they trying to say drunk sailors get pissed there? Yeah, and (laughs) probably prostitution as well. Like, often that goes with, unfortunately, maritime places. We Mm. don't like to think of it as a grim part of the past, but unfortunately, it is. Mm. Um, We do have a good trading road, though, that is built during the civil period, which is exciting. It's called a Turnpike Road, and it's from Plymouth to London. And that was completed in 1758, which does actually help with trade, but still, Devonport is more important. So, a road from Plymouth to London? Yeah. Completed in 1758. And is that that road... Does the rough route still yeah. exist, or has that completely changed now where we see the A38 go up? I mean... The rough route still exists. The importance of different roads has changed. So obviously it fluctuates depending on what's going on and the amount of traffic that's, that's going to and from. Okay. We'll stop our chat on dual carriageways and motorways there. Yeah, I mean, that I know was everyone down, was excited that was, about that. That was literally going down a one-way street. <laughs> <laughs> there is a one-way street on Southside Street. Well done. Oh, <laughs> the segways. <laughs> it's great. Um, so also we see other manufacturing coming to Plymouth Barbican. So William Cookworthy. Uh, manufactures porcelain and had a warehouse on the edge of Sutton Harbour. Additionally, the debtor's prison, that was the Blackfriars Monastery, is going to change again. And this is where we see it becoming a gin distillery. And in 1793, it was bought by the Coates family who distilled dry gin, which became known as Plymouth Gin. um, And it has housed this company ever since, but they've had different owners. So it's now expanding in its trading. And now we're seeing gin being something that they're beginning to trade. Mm. It's got a very, I don't know if you've got an image there, but the, the bottle of Plymouth Gin, mm-hmm. is, does it have the Mayflower on the bottle? No, it it's, has a little black, oh, it's got it on the front of the actual 
the bottle itself yeah. on the label. Um, and it also then, if you look into the bottle from the front, you can see engraved on the back of it a little monk, which it still shows that bit of history. On the inside? On the inside of the bottle. Oh, wow. So you can actually look at that, and it does have the ship, you're right, on the front. Mm. So so that yeah. that is a symbol of the Blackfriars Monastery from, you know, when that building first came about. Yeah, and it's a little nod to its history. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they're using the gin for religious purposes. No. I don't think not so. For, I might be wrong. Somebody else can tell me. <laughs> not for christenings. Wouldn't recommend giving a baby gin. <laughs> no, just a little splash on the forehead. <laughs> it seems like this has gone off on a tangent. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I might stop the gin talk there because I don't drink gin. Okay, so the uh, gin yep. at that time still is, I imagine, very popular with the traders and with the sailors yep very popular um they obviously plymouth is known now for its many bars and restaurants and pubs particularly, particularly around the barbican, barbican yeah. um it's a very popular place for people to go out and mm -hmm. i believe on wednesdays is when they go out uh the sailors <laughs> i believe that's the day that they get it i might be wrong again you can correct me on that one but i believe from a friend of a friend that's when wednesday they go is the sailors night out yeah i think so <laughs> i think it's also the university day out because it's when they do the sports <laughs> When all this what, is the um, freshers. No, so um, usually varsity. they have sports teams. Varsity. Not varsity. Oh. Just on a Wednesday, generally you don't have lectures on any a Wednesday afternoon. You do sports. All oh, right. And you do your club stuff then. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, it gets very busy. Yeah. Week weekdays, nights, and uh, weekends. Very busy. Very popular place to go to. Mm. Um, if we then look at how Plymouth itself is developing, so there is a breakwater that is created in Plymouth Sound and that is to help maintain trade as ships were able to take shelter more easily during the storms. And in 1820, because of the fact that the breakwater is there and it's helping ships, a new customs house was built at the Barbican in order to collect duty, so tax on imported goods. It's a three-storey double-fronted building with a south-facing kind of building. Uh, with a simple ashlar and granite symmetrical five window front which is round arched openings it is no longer a customs house it is now i believe a nightclub it might even be um also a restaurant and part of it so it's also changed its use but again that's just showing what plymouth is more about nowadays than mm. it was then mm. um we also see Plymouth, as I've already mentioned, it's an ill-built, disagreeable place at this time, as according to the 1794 and 1796 document that we just referred to. Um, we also see, unfortunately, um, a very deadly illness coming to the Barbican, and it's one that was known about in the Industrial Era. Um, this illness causes um, diarrhoea and vomiting, and you will die from this, if not if you don't get medical help and you can still die from this illness today. Do you know what illness I'm talking about? The plague? No, it... Probably got the wrong era then. Yeah, that's in the early modern era. Um, this is called cholera. Oh, right. So okay. you can still catch cholera today and it's still... It, it, it is around Was in certain countries. Was that particularly transferred to Plymouth because of the trade trading ports? No, it's caused because of the poor living conditions. Oh, okay. Um, so cholera is transferred via feces or infected feces and urine 
uh, passing it on it can be done through food transfer but often through water pumps being too close that's often what we see there um, and it is really deadly and it unfortunately that with smallpox hits Plymouth Barbican and mm. in 1832 702 people in the area die of cholera alone um, and by this point the go local government inspectors claim that Plymouth and Plymouth Dock, Devonport were ranked with Warsaw as some of the most unsanitary towns in the whole of Europe so Plymouth here not looking to be a very good place to go mm. um, by 1851 Plymouth had a population of 53,000 this meant that there was heavy overpopulation in the Barbican area. Just to give you an idea, New Street, that building that site that I told you about with that Elizabethan house, mm -hmm. that had 600 people living in its 43 houses. So wow. each house accommodating on average 24 people, wow. with rooms in the houses uh, being subdivided with one privy or toilet serving a whole block. Wow. So of course we're going to see areas having these deadly viruses and deadly illnesses going mm. in because... They're not living in sanitary conditions, and unfortunately the Barbican shows us that. Mm. Um, so, because of that, there is a Public Health Act which is passed, and in 1848 a Public Health Act has to be enforced in Plymouth because of the death rate. Drains were placed into the streets in the Barbican, and some houses were actually demolished in order to widen some of the streets. So, for example, Palace Court, where Catherine of Aragon had stayed, was pulled down in the 1870s. House Street was completely transformed, while one side of Lou Street was demolished. Lou Street was where Sir Francis Drake lived. Oh, okay. So his house was gone. Yeah. Um, further to this, um, I'll do it with this part, and I'll go back in time for that bit. Um, during Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee, so her celebration of how long she'd been reigning, in 1897, an enormous bonfire was constructed on the Hoe. This bonfire was actually made out of the timber from the demolished Tudor houses on Loose Street and House Street. Wow. So those Tudor houses that they tore down to mm. improve the living conditions, which we do understand that's a necessity, mm. they were burnt to create a massive party for Queen Victoria, Victoria. reigning so long. Queen Victoria's massive Plymouth bonfire. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so unfortunately that bit of history was burnt <laughs> for a party. Up in smoke. Yeah, it's gone up in smoke, so we can't see that anymore. Mm. Um, but we do see a bit of an advancement so on a positive side in 1896 a new fish market was built in Plymouth Barbican it's now a shop uh, you can see it um, it was designed by a person called James Inglis who was an engineer so Great Western Railway so actually it looks a little bit like a train station you might okay. have seen it it's got a fretted valance which is a railway station type um, as roof. part of its lower case canopy of the roof mm. and it would have been open but it's now glass fronted because it's a shop yeah. and I think it's got Edinburgh Wall Mill and a little cafe inside <laughs> so you can go and visit that as well but again showing that we're moving to more of a tourism attraction nice so that's the industrial revolution and if we go to the modern day so the present day what the Barbican is like obviously lots happens between the 1900s and we have the first world war and the Second World War. So the First World War actually then led to slum clearance, so a lot of buildings on Basket Street were destroyed because of the Addison Housing Act in 1919. Um, and during the Second World War there was substantial damage to the city centre, but the Barbican, yay, remains unscathed. Didn't get so touched. Didn't get touched really, there was a mild damage, so as a result all the funding went to Plymouth City to try and build it up again to fix it after it had been kind of pretty much destroyed and the Barbican almost is forgotten 
which is really sad because obviously it's got a lot of history we've talked about it for quite a while mm. that's now gone um so they now actually a local group of people decided to try and get some money together to try and fix it so in 1957 the Plymouth Barbican Association was formed and this focused on kind of trying to keep the heritage of the area and in 1967 the Barbican district became designated a conservation area so we had to look after it between 1969 and 1970 the Plymouth Barbican Association created the Elizabethan Gardens which you can go and see it's down a little alleyway you need to know about it to kind of really find it um, and it was created out of the derelict ruins of cottages to mark the 350th anniversary of the Mayflower setting sail from Sutton. So that's again created for tourists. It was never there before, so we can't imagine it as being there in the Tudor period because mm. it's called the Elizabethan Gardens. It's there for tourists to make it seem older. Um, the regeneration then continues um, and it has a lot gates which allows the harbour to actually become a marina because it allows to have a usable depth of water so they can have fancier boats and they're not going to get destroyed because there's a lack of water. Um, the fish market was relocated and the fish market I just talked about is then turned into a kind of cafe and shop mm. um, and commercial buildings are kind of being developed and that's where we see things like um, a pedestrian bridge being installed over the lock gates enabling people to go over and the national marine aquarium to kind of develop and its tourism has kind of evolved into what we now see today hmm. okay going back to second world war yep um plymouth was a lot of sites in plymouth were hit by bombs yep um the church in, in particular, which the ruins are still there yep. in the middle of the roundabout at the moment, isn't it? Yes. By, is it the, the university or the, the shopping centre? Uh, so it's your... got Primark just behind it, <laughs> <laughs> which is Drake Circus. Yeah. And you but can go quite, in through Primark. But it's quite prominent, especially when you drive into the centre of Plymouth. Yes, you so see I those ruins. The architecture the is meant to represent, because they built the shopping centre behind it, as like an explosion coming out from behind the building. Okay. So as you drive up, you're meant to imagine it have been the explosion behind it. Mm. So they're trying to take part of that history and kind of almost create it as their own. Yeah. But um, was there any other significant damage to Plymouth at that time? Obviously none to the Barbican. Most of it was flattened. Most of Plymouth was flattened <laughs> <laughs> during that time? Yeah, lot, like large areas of it was flattened because they were obviously we were a naval base. Mm. So they're aiming for They were the a target. Yeah, we were a target. Yeah. So... Yeah, a lot of Plymouth was destroyed. Mm. It's just lucky that the Barbican was relatively uns unscathed. Devon Devonport. Did Devonport was hit. Was hit. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, we we've got a lot of damage that unfortunately happened during the Second World War. Let's mm. uh, assume the Blitz, obviously. Yeah. Okay, so I think that's a good amount of Plymouth history there. We're um, up to date, and we're coming up to an hour long of our first podcast and we've only good. covered a little bit of death and destruction that was only a small part a small part of death and destruction and a little bit of diarrhea <laughs> the best of the world right and, there and the slave trade yep and cholera and but mainly plymouth was used as a strong naval base for a yes. couple of monarchs to defend the country <laughs> Uh, yeah, which is good, and also now a lot of tourism around the Barbican, 
lots and lots of tourism. I would imagine if it wasn't for the corona outbreak, we'd have a lot of Americans currently in Plymouth, but uh, due to restrictions on travel, unfortunately, uh, the tourist industry has taken a bit of a hit. But I'm sure we'll find a change and a positivity will resemble and restore itself to greatness. Wow, where did that come from? I don't know, inside. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, and some bloody good gin. Yeah, all about the alcoholic beverages. Right, as a historian, we've just talked about Plymouth for an hour. Plymouth And your summary is, it's all about gin. No, um, my summary would be, it's all about a lot of death, destruction, and a little bit of trade. We talked about that. (laughs) Death, destruction, a little bit of trade. A lot of trade, okay. Well, there you go. And tourism. That's the history of Plymouth. And military. Oh, Plymouth Barbican. Plymouth Barbican, not the whole of Plymouth. Not the whole of Plymouth, yeah. We might talk about the history of Muttley at some point. Muttley Plain is great. But not today. Not today. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Please like, subscribe, share, all those things. And don't forget to listen to even more of these history podcasts. You could even do a woodcut. Woodcutting print. A woodcut? Yeah, we can do that in them. We could do a whole section on the printing press and the invention of the printing press. I love the printing press. (laughs) Anyway, thank you very much for listening. We hope you listen to us next time. Bye. Bye.